0: Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash ZHA. This activity is supported by Novartis Pharma AG. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on inherited retinal dystrophies. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professors Dominic Fisher and Robert McLaren. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues.
1: Hello, my name is Dominic Fisher from the University of Oxford here in the UK. Welcome to this activity entitled Establishing Earlier Diagnosis of Inherited Retinal Dystrophies, The Clinical Clues. Joining me in this discussion is my esteemed colleague, Professor Robert McLaren, also from the University of Oxford. And in this first presentation, we will discuss the importance of establishing an early diagnosis and the initial clinical symptoms of IRDs and the clinical diagnostic workup. IRDs, inherited retinal dystrophies, are generally regarded a progressive disease. At early stages in life, most patients will still see fairly well depending on the disease uh, but then progress and lose vision Um, and it depends a bit on what kind of IRD some uh, are congenital uh, with uh, early onset uh, visual disturbances and other patients see fairly well until their very late stage of life but lose uh, particular parts of their vision for example peripheral visual field or central vision but all in all uh, it's a progressive disease Um, and therefore early diagnosis seem to be a better option, both for understanding the management, uh, but also the individual prognosis of the patients. So uh, Robert, maybe you can give us a short overview of the typical patient journey and why you think um, early diagnosis makes sense.
0: Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Dominic, for the introduction. So, as many of us know in ophthalmology, uh, patients come to us from various sources. Uh, Quite often, with a severe vision loss, the patient may be diagnosed by their paediatrician at birth with a visual problem and subsequently undergo very early investigations. It's also possible that it might be picked up later on, perhaps at school, at screening, in which case you might have it through the GP. In either cases, these children ultimately do need to see a retinal specialist where we would look at the back of the eye and determine the cause of vision loss, because obviously retinal degenerations are not going to be corrected with spectacles. This is a team of specialists, usually, including input from, in the child's case, a paediatrician, a social worker who can look at the impact of vision loss with the child at home, the genetics counselor who'd be able to give informed advice on the likelihood of genetic mutation being present among different members of the family, the clinical scientists who provide information on the genetic test result, whether it's a variant that is definitely pathogenic, um, and of course the ophthalmologist to sort of bring it all together and try and translate all that information to the family in a way that informs them about the disease but at the same time considers any potential therapies that might be available. The therapeutic options are still relatively limited and we have to accept that at the moment. We can Recruit a patient into a clinical trial. You know that might be an observational study just to characterize the disease in more detail, perhaps a phenotyping study.
1: That's a beautiful summary of uh, the patient journey, um, and of course that's quite variable across healthcare systems, etc. And even within a healthcare system, geographic, um, you know, allocation of patients can can still dictate, unfortunately, how the patient journey can can look like. But just to give you, give our audience an overview, what, what do you think are the key initial visual symptoms and how do you understand them in terms of where they come from?
0: The spectrum of vision loss depends primarily on whether it affects the cones or the rods. In most cases of early onset vision loss that we would see in neonates and young children, we're going to be looking at cone dysfunction because the cone vision is very important. In the absence of cone function, the patients would have nystagmus, they would have low vision, and we would be able to detect it relatively early. With slower progressive retinal degeneration, so typically the rod cone dystrophies, the child may present initially with problems with night vision. And this may be something that's not immediately apparent because if you're a parent with a new child you may not know what normal night vision is like in a baby. It's simple things like they bump into things, they can't see things at night, they complain of night vision problems. And Subsequently, that might be associated with loss of peripheral vision. So, this spectrum of disease, either affecting the rods or the cones, presents in a different way.
1: Now, having um, sketched out the initial symptoms, um, how is it with regard to the onset? You already touched on that, but um, how is that different across genes?
0: A newborn child may present with profound vision loss because the functional enzyme for vision is missing. Other genetic causes may present at slightly progressive later times, Um, and some indeed may present with retinitis pigmentosa or retinal degeneration well into adulthood. The oldest patient that I've diagnosed with RP was 92 years old, and that was his first diagnosis. He wasn't too worried about the diagnosis, it had been progressing at a very, very slow rate. We often think about the genetic causes and we try to link them to the age of onset. There is no general hard and fast rule, but in in general, the, the enzymes affecting the visual cycle will tend to present earlier, whereas the genetic defects that cause rod degenerations only and don't affect the cones will tend to be later. And we know that genetic mutations can be mild or severe within the same gene. But generally, we get an idea that the disease may present at a variety of ages throughout life.
1: What kind of ophthalmic examination diagnostic workup do you suggest for the majority of IRD patients?
0: We would want to do refraction to look at their um, spectacle prescription, first of all, in any children, that would be the first investigation. And then we want to look at retinal imaging, to look at the structure of the retina, the OCT scan, to look at the extent of the retina degeneration, and also to see if there are any treatable elements of the disease. A cystoid macular edema, for instance, is a side effect of retinal degenerations, which is potentially treatable. We want to be able to see and monitor these things. Uh, We also want to consider the family, and again, give advice on other relatives. In some cases if we are unsure about the genetic test result we may wish to take blood from one of the parents to check the segregation of the mutation that it's on both alleles or sometimes we might want to look at an unaffected sibling again to confirm the genetic mutation. The phenotyping at this first consultation is, is, is quite detailed as well as the history and we're going to look at these other very important factors relating to the history of onset and particularly try and follow the family tree as closely as possible. It is a very sensitive time, I should say, and whenever I'm dealing with a family and there's a new diagnosis of a child who's got a diagnosis of a, a very severe uh, and, and quite awful disease, One has to be tactful and not push it too far at that first consultation. Try and achieve what you can. Quite often the parents don't take it in all straight away. You need to come back at a second consultation and go through things in a little bit more detail. I normally find I get a much, much better family history once they've had a chance to think about it and go home and normally bring it back at the follow-up clinic. Uh,
1: Maybe we can uh, spend a bit more time to discuss what deep phenotyping means in this context. So if you, as an IRD specialist, What do you do that a non-IRD specialist would not do?
0: The retinal specialist will want to look at images of the retina. We love the imaging. I can promise you it's much easier to look at the fundal photo of a two-year-old than it is to actually look at the child themselves. And we will do the imaging with photography and with the scans, which enable us to study in great detail the phenotype of the retinal degeneration. It may be possible for us, even at an early stage, to have some clues to the underlying genetic diagnosis based on certain key features, for instance we might see splitting of the fovea uh, in uh, some types of retinal degeneration caused by mutations in NR2E3 or X-linked retinoscisis, we may see FLEX in ABCA4 related retinal dystrophies. So this fundal examination is quite important and a key part of the examination workup.
1: Well, Thank you very much uh, Robert, uh, this was an excellent overview. I think in summary we can highlight the fact that early genetic testing seems to be key in progressive disease uh, and we highlighted the reasons for that. I think the early genetic testing aids early clinical diagnosis and confirming the clinical diagnosis in a lot of cases and that ultimately leads to an earlier uh, decision-making process by the patient and his or her family with regard to treatment options. Thank you to the audience for staying with us and I hope you've learned um, one or two things about uh, inherited retinal dystrophies. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm Robert McLaren, I'm Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Oxford and uh, it gives me a great pleasure to introduce this session. We're going to talk about confirming diagnosis of inherited retinal dystrophies and how we integrate genetic testing into clinical care. I'm delighted to be joined by my esteemed colleague, Professor Dominic Fisher, also from the University of Oxford. Question number one, does early genetic therapy lead to better outcomes? Uh, Professor Fisher, what do you think?
1: Well, that's actually uh, starting already with a very tough question. The diseases are usually progressive, um, and progression means loss of you know, retinal tissue early treatment would uh, generally be preferable. Uh, And we certainly know from preclinical evidence that in some diseases an early treatment is preferable over a treatment at late stage, uh, where sometimes we can not get the same treatment effect as if we would have treated earlier.
0: Yes, I think that's quite right. And of course, we mustn't forget that late degeneration means that all the photoreceptors have degenerated and there's of limited potential. Uh, There is still a little bit of debate, I think, about how early is early. Um, I'm not sure under the age of two or one whether the risks of the surgery perhaps outweigh any benefits of going a little bit earlier. Um, I think the key time would be the period of visual development between the ages of two and six, ideally.
1: I completely agree.
0: So, I mean, Dominic, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the genes that might be causing inherited antigeneration?
1: Sure. It's important to understand that Blindness, or IRDs in general, can be due to a great number of different gene defects. It's not only hundreds of genes that can cause blindness, or IRDs, but mutations within each one of those genes, each patient can be quite different, even if the same gene is affected. And we know patients that have mutations in the same gene, and still very different in their presentation and in their rate of progression.
0: And what about the classification?
1: I don't know about you, Robert, but I always feel a bit uneasy about classifications because they, they only work for a number of you know, years or a, a period of time until there's new information coming in, and then old classifications become almost a bit obsolete let me give an example. In the middle of this graph here, you may see the letters RPGR. Okay, so RPGR is a gene that can be affected. It's actually one of the most commonly mutated genes that lead to IRDs. And depending on the mutation of that gene, the clinical label or clinical classification of our patient might be retinitis pigmentosa. But some patients might also get the clinical label of a cone or cone-rot dystrophy, even though it's the same gene that is affected. And that shows us the genetic heterogeneity, but also the phenotypic heterogeneity. In the age of gene therapy, what is key is the genetic information, which gene is affected, and that's more important than the clinical label. It's not as relevant whether you call the patient to have retinitis pigmentosa or, or lepus congenital amaurosis. The key is that the mutation is in the RP sixty five gene because that is where your treatment works.
0: Now, what genes do we test in IRD?
1: If you have a patient with IRDs, as I mentioned earlier, there can be hundreds of different genes uh, responsible for the disease. At a minimum. We would look at several hundred genes in one go. We would do next-generation sequencing, but focus only on the most likely candidates. Now if we don't find anything uh, in this IRDG panel, we might extend the analysis to what's called the Mendelium, and that is a group of genetic sequences that uh, uh, encompass all known disease genes. If we don't find the underlying disease or underlying genetic uh, condition, Then we expand into an all-genome, whole exome sequencing analysis.
0: When we do genetic testing on patients, what sort of percentage do we get of the correct gene diagnosis?
1: It's a bit variable uh, between different classifications. So, for example, if you have a patient with Usher syndrome, uh, it tends to be more than 90% that our patients get a a clear-cut answer from the genetic test result. While if you have recessive retinitis pigmentosa, sometimes only two-thirds of our patients might get the answer that they hope to get from the genetic testing.
0: We lead always to the questions that the patients ask me, which is what treatments are available? What are the therapeutic options?
1: Well, it's very exciting times indeed. Uh, again, uh, similar to what you said, uh, when I started uh, in the field, uh, You know, the only thing we could do is electrophysiology and get excited about that. Um, and now we are doing surgery and getting excited about our patients getting better in terms of their vision. It's fantastic. Um, and this innovation really is, is led by both the clinicians as well as scientists. A good example is the gene therapy for RP65 related IRDs. It's only really about 25 years that the field has uh, started to understand the underlying mechanism in this disease. Uh, and have found mutations in the responsible gene RP65 It encodes an enzyme that is at home in the RPE, in the retinal pigment epithelium. These mutations lead to a decreased enzymatic activity, and with no enzymatic activity, the vitamin A cycle from the photoreceptors to the RPE and back is faulty. And as a consequence, uh, the photoreceptors don't work as well. Uh, There is no light perception, or barely any light perception, certainly not in the rod receptors, and that is the underlying disease mechanism, and, and that explains why our patients are seeing so poorly at night. From that moment on, gene therapy was developed, um, packaging the coding sequence of this gene, RP65, into a vector, uh, in this case an AEV vector, and over the last, um, I would say, 10 years, 15 years, um, this huge momentum gained from pre, you know promising preclinical evidence to a clinical trial to a market approval of a treatment that seems to be beneficial to our patients.
0: Yes, and it really has been a revelation, um, not just with gene therapy, but also potentially future gene editing and, 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 and CRISPR approaches. So in conclusion, um, I would agree that it's important to get a genetic test. What do you think?
1: There is no question about it. The importance of a genetic test is key, especially in the, uh, in the setting now that we have uh, treatment options available, but the treatment is gene specific. So there are a number of reasons really why genetic testing is important. First of all, it confirms or excludes the genetic cause of your disease. Secondly, with the identification of the underlying disease mechanism, it's much easier to then determine the likely individual uh, prognosis in a patient and visual outcome over time. It also provides you with the required information to make a specific diagnosis or differential diagnosis in a fairly heterogeneous disorder. I think most importantly and most convincingly, we need genetic testing so we can ensure that where a treatment is indicated, uh, we can bring this patient to, to have this treatment.
0: Who would you test and and who who might you not test?
1: I think it's our job to offer testing to anyone. Of course, genetic testing is an issue where patients have different views. But I think the reasons that I just mentioned are important reasons for our patients. Luckily, we have genetic counsellors who are always very well trained and very tactful in explaining to the patients why genetic testing is important and what the benefits are.
0: It's important to remember that not all genes are fully penetrant. Sometimes parents might ask with the dominantly inherited disease, well, shall I get my kids tested? They may carry the mutation genetically but not actually suffer from any retinal degeneration. And in that situation, I I would probably be less inclined to do the testing and more likely just encourage close clinical follow-up until such point as which symptoms might develop in future.
1: I completely agree.
0: We often get genetic test results back and obviously... I enjoy showing them to my trainees. I work with my fellows and ask them to interpret them for me because they are difficult.
1: Absolutely. It's not black and white. It's not binary. It's not a mutation or no mutation. In fact, there is quite a scale of different likelihoods that a certain sequence variant is actually the underlying disease mechanism. And we can grade that based on certain criteria from this is a benign variant in the sequence to a pathogenic variant that is extremely likely to be the underlying mechanism for the disease, a likely pathogenic variant in a disease, and ultimately means that in 9 out of 10 patients, this is the underlying disease. In medicine, I think we as doctors are quite used to this level of certainty or uncertainty, Um, but it's often difficult for patients to uh, understand and appreciate uh, that it's not always black and white.
0: Genetic testing does a number of things. Um, Obviously, it helps us manage the patients in terms of telling them why they're losing their vision. It may help us give prognosis in terms of the the later uh, probability of vision loss. For instance, if they're gonna have a macular dystrophy or a cone dystrophy versus a cone rod dystrophy, that can be quite the difference. It may help us enroll patients into clinical trials, because most trials now are gene-specific, And I think most importantly, there is an obligation on us as clinicians to report all new gene mutations. If we put the mutations into literature and we'll get a better understanding of the prevalence of these diseases around the world, which, of course, is going to help us developing treatments because we know where, hopefully, all the patients will be. I think that's pretty much it uh, on the genetic testing. So uh, thank you very much, Professor Fisher. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.